Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Saving Green Podcast. We've got some interesting news coming at you today with a little bit of casual subversion of democracy. We're talking about the Mountain Valley Pipeline being snuck into the debt ceiling deal, along with significant reductions to environmental protections by weakening the National Environmental Policy Act, also known as NEPA for short. You'll hear that acronym come up a couple of times in the show. Hello, my name is John Glover. I have a master's degree in environmental policy and management, and I'm here to provide you information about natural resource problems and environmental problems, and also the solutions to them. Welcome to the Saving Green Podcast. so much for tuning in. Before we get started, I want to talk about a few places you can follow and support the Saving Green podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Saving Green Pod, and the podcast is available on Apple Podcast and Spotify. If you could leave a five-star review, that would be much appreciated. I'm proud to announce we're officially at five stars on Spotify, but we're lacking in the reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you can leave a five-star review and write a review as well, I'll give you a shout-out at the beginning of each episode and read your review. We also are on Patreon at patreon.com slash savinggreenpod, and you can go there to help give a little bit each month to the podcast to support it. If you've listened to the episode so far and you've learned something and you feel like you have some value out of this, then I'd really appreciate getting a couple of dollars per month. Uh, it really helps me to keep the podcast running and hopefully I'll get to a point where I can get more episodes out more frequently, get some upgraded studio equipment, other great stuff like that. There's also a Discord for the podcast that you can go to where we're gathering a community of people and posting news stories and suggestions for future shows and posting memes and other fun stuff like that. So definitely check that out too. All these links will be available in the link tree at the in the episode description uh, or in the show bio. So you can access that at any time. Now, to get into the episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the Mountain Valley Pipeline uh, primarily, but also some changes to NEPA or the National Environmental Policy Act. The Mountain Valley Pipeline is a controversial gas transportation project in the eastern United States between West Virginia and Virginia. The pipeline has been forced through in the debt ceiling deal that was recently reached between Democrats and Republicans after it failed to pass multiple federal views, had been shot down by a federal appeals court for not doing proper environmental reviews, and it also faces staunch resistance from the communities that would be affected by the pipeline going through them or adjacent to them. Despite this, the federal government has effectively forced the pipeline through despite the fact that a court shot it down and people resist it um, by forcing it into the debt ceiling deal, which is a must-pass piece of legislation that we will talk about a little bit further on. 
in addition to the Mountain Valley Pipeline being in the debt ceiling deal, the government, the government also snuck in provisions to weaken NEPA, or the National Environmental Policy Act. This act generally requires environmental reviews of projects that involve the federal government and could be considered to have significant impacts. It's an important legal term within the bill itself. The scope of the bill has been severely narrowed because of the weakening of NEPA that it was snuck into this bill. Now, starting with the Mountain Valley Pipeline itself, this is, it is a proposed 300-mile-long pipeline that would transport gas from West Virginia's Marcellus and Utica shale areas to Virginia. It was originally proposed in 2014 and has failed to pass multiple federal reviews, has had to pay significant fines for violating environmental regulations, and has many other problems involved with it as well. In May of 2022, one of the lead partners of the MVP, a company called Equitrans announced that the project costs had nearly doubled from $3.7 billion to $6.6 billion. And in 2022, the owners of the MVP claimed that it was over 90% completed, but the Sierra Club contradicts that claim, saying it was only 55% completed. Sierra Club is a nonprofit legal organization uh, that is very prevalent in a lot of environmental cases. In late June of 2022, the MVP decided not to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court after it was rejected two federal permits by a federal appeals court after the Sierra Club and partners successfully challenged the MVP in court. Instead, the MVP reapplied for permits for a third time, and there were some negotiations behind the scene in which MVP was able to gain political power. The center of this is Senator Joe Manchin, who is a prominent senator within the Democratic Party because of the narrow majority that Democrats currently have in the Senate. This means that Joe Manchin's vote is incredibly important to be able to pass critical pieces of legislation, and if he decides not to vote with Democrats, then that could potentially tank legislation in the Senate. And so he has a lot of power through his swing vote. Joe Manchin is a former owner of a coal company, which is still run by members of his family, and he also receives significant amounts of donations from fossil fuel organizations. Um, his ties to the fossil fuel industry make him a very proponent opponent of environmental legislation that goes through in the United States government through the Senate in particular. We'll get a little bit more into who Joe Manchin is and his stakes in all of this in a little bit, but he essentially negotiated a deal with major members of the Democratic Party, including Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and President Joe Biden. The deal was reached in order to secure Joe Manchin's vote on what it was called the Inflation Reduction Act in 2022, which was a massive stimulus package that the federal government put through with an overall $3.5 trillion being spent, $375 billion of which was going towards clean energy and climate, according to the Associated Press. Without Manchin's vote, the IRA would have been dead on arrival and unable to get through the Senate. 
And so he used that power to leverage a deal with Democratic leadership in which they would, in the future, pass the Mountain Valley Pipeline. This is according to a one-page summary Manchin's office shared with CNN. After this deal was reached, over 650 environmental groups, including the Sierra Club, Extinction Rebellion, the NAACP, and Public Citizen, signed a letter opposing the MVP and proposed permitting changes that could potentially fast-track other oil and gas and coal projects. This is especially problematic because oil, gas, and coal are responsible for 85% of greenhouse emissions and are the root driver of the climate crisis that we are currently experiencing. This was in according to the letter that was signed by the 650 environmental groups. While the Inflation Reduction Act did give a significant amount of money towards clean energy and climate, a total of $375 billion, it also itself gave many concessions to the oil and gas industry. For example, it mandated the leasing of vast areas of public lands on the United States and also off the coast, particularly in the Gulf of Mexico. It also requires that if the Biden administration wants any solar and wind projects on public lands, it must first offer new oil and gas leases. Joe Biden's record on the climate, particularly oil and gas thus far, has been abysmal. Joe Biden approved more oil and gas permits in his first two years than Donald Trump did, according to data from the Bureau of Land Management, which manages these gas permits. Biden is also continuing to approve massive projects like the Willow Project, which was discussed in episode one and is an oil and gas project in Alaska, and now the Mountain Valley Pipeline in the Virginias. This is all while greenhouse gas levels continue to hit record highs year after year, according to the World Meteorological Organization. Furthermore, these increased leasing to oil and gas in combination with the NEPA deregulation that was included with the MVP is extremely troubling because if there are more oil and gas projects with less environmental protections, then the odds of these having environmental disasters or negative environmental effects in general significantly increases. With this in mind, let's dig a little bit deeper into who Joe Manchin is and why he gives so much power to the fossil fuel industry. He's a U.S. Senator from West Virginia who's a Democrat in a fairly red to purple area where it is hard to elect Democrats. He has deep ties to oil and gas and is a swing vote in the Senate and is often needed to pass critical pieces of legislation that the Democratic Party is trying to advance. Joe Manchin is also the head of the Senate Energy Committee, which is a blatant example of corruption to put someone with such huge ties to the fossil fuel industry in charge of the committee that is handling every single energy bill that starts in the Senate. Joe Manchin's connections to big money and to big fossil fuels are massive. Between 2016 and 2021 alone, 50 billionaires and 17 spouses of billionaires donated to Manchin's campaign committee or leadership pack, according to a review of Federal Election Commission data that was done by Forbes in 2021. Joe Manchin has also received money from companies that are directly invested in the Mountain Valley Pipeline, including the company Equitrans. Other fossil fuel companies that are giving money to Joe Manchin include Coor Mining, Sempra Energy, Valero Energy, Dominion Energy, 
someone called NRG Energy, which I'll be honest, that's a corny name. If you're going to be an evil company, maybe at least have a cool name. But there are also other energy companies uh, and financial institutions that donate to Joe Manchin's campaigns. In Joe Manchin has also already received over $6 million in campaign contributions for his upcoming re-election bid in 2024. And if you think that's bad, Joe Manchin's fossil fuel ties don't even stop there. Joe Manchin used to run a coal company called Enersystems until 2000 when he entered politics. Then he gave control of the company to his son because, you know, that totally means that he has no interest in the company or the money it makes anymore, right? Actually, no, because between 2011 and 2020, he made over $5 million in dividends from the company. This is according to an investigation from The Guardian. Furthermore, according to this investigation, he has more money invested in fossil fuels than any other senator as of 2019 when the investigation was done. In 2018, Joe Manchin had an estimated net worth of roughly $7.6 million. Now, obviously Joe Manchin is a significant villain here for using his influence to continually give new gains to the fossil fuel industry. In this case, getting the Mountain Valley pipeline through, despite the fact that it's violating all sorts of environmental standards. But it's also worth mentioning that Joe Manchin would not have the power that his vote has if Republicans ever cooperated with Democrats on anything, but particularly on environmental legislation. Republicans are so consistently using their votes to vote no on anything that Democrats try to pass, so legislation dies in the Senate unless Democrats capitulate to people like Joe Manchin or also Kirsten Sinema. Now that we've established who Joe Manchin is and the power that he has in the government. Let's talk about how the Mountain Valley Pipeline and these changes to the National Environmental Policy Act actually got passed. And it was through something called the debt ceiling. And if you don't know what that is, every few years the government essentially votes to extend the debt ceiling. And this allows the government to continue to take out loans to pay for things, the programs that it runs and also issue bonds in return for the loans, which pay out a steady amount of money over time to those who hold the bonds. What is important here is that if the debt ceiling did not pass, then the government would have defaulted on its debt, which is trillions of dollars. This would have caused the US economy and likely the entire world economy to collapse. And this was a major crisis point because Republicans were staunchly refusing to any deals on the debt ceiling as the far right wing of the party was trying to use it as an excuse to cut Social Security, Medicare, and other social programs that are designed to help people or provide them with some kind of financial resources. Therefore, Joe Manchin was a very important swing vote to pass the debt ceiling through the Senate. This gave him the opportunity to make good on the deal he had made with Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and President Biden to put the Mountain Valley Pipeline and these changes to the National Environmental Policy Act into the debt ceiling bill, which was a must-pass bill. So the debt ceiling passing also caused the pipeline to be approved and these changes to be made to this major piece of environmental protection legislation. 
when the Mountain Valley Pipeline passed, communities were outraged. This was a complete subversion of their rights to a clean and protected environment and also to democracy itself, overturning rulings done by federal courts and overturning the very rules that the federal government uses to decide how projects can pass and what kind of permits they need and what kind of protections they need for the environment because the Mountain Valley Pipeline is being forced through despite the fact that it has violated federal legislation for the environment many, many times. Crystal Cavalier Keck, the co-founder of the indigenous environmental group called Seven Directions of Service, told CNN on a call that literally they are changing the rules as we are playing the game, meaning that the government is essentially cheating to be able to pass this pipeline through against the will of the people. Justin Pearson, a notable state lawmaker from Tennessee, spoke out against it and said, for this administration to profess that it cares about environmental justice and then greenlight the Mountain Valley Pipeline while gutting the National Environmental Policy Act is abhorrent and wrong. Justin Pearson became a notable political figure in Tennessee after briefly being expelled from the state house for his position protesting the lack of gun violence reform. Now that we've done a little crash course on government corruption and the casual subversion of democracy that is continuing to happen in favor of the fossil fuel industry, let's talk about why the Mountain Valley Pipeline is so bad. Because at this point you might be saying, well sure, they went against community will, but is it really that bad? It is. The pipeline has essentially been an unmitigated disaster from start to finish. For starters, the Mountain Valley Pipeline has violated its construction permit 139 times over the course of just two years and committed at least 46 water quality standard violations, according to Bloomberg Law. In addition to numerous environmental violations, the MVP is also just a bad project from a financial and an engineering perspective. The company NextEra, which owns approximately 31% of the MVP, wrote off a $1.5 billion impairment charge in 2020 relating to the MVP, and then in 2022 wrote off another $800 million after performing a market analysis. What this means is that after multiple impairment charges, NextEra has lost all of their investment and also now has an additional liability of about $200 million on the project, according to an analysis done by the Sierra Club. The company has also determined that the project even has a very low probability of completion. NextEra is not even the only company that feels this way. The energy markets analytics company called RBN Energy LLC noted a good deal of skepticism about whether the Mountain Valley Pipeline will ever even be completed. According to the Sierra Club, the project is currently more than three years behind schedule and has faced millions of dollars of fines for hundreds of violations of clean water protections. The pipeline has a strong chance to continue to face water violations and right now is undergoing a review from the Federal Energy, Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC, to see 
whether the MVP can bore under more than 180 water bodies in order to evade other permitting requirements. Essentially, taking shortcuts at the risk of water resources for this oil pipeline. The Mountain Valley Pipeline has not done the necessary studies to show how this drilling will even affect underground environments and water flows, according to Wild Virginia, a nonprofit environmental organization based out of Virginia. Companies and nonprofits aren't the only ones who are skeptical about the Mountain Valley Pipeline and its ability to avoid environmental damages. The Mountain Valley Pipeline has faced major losses, including when its permits were vacated in April of 2023 by the U.S. Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. Originally, the permits would have allowed construction across 3.5 miles of federal land in the Jefferson National Forest. The court also overruled a biological opinion and incidental take statement put out by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, citing that there were serious errors in the agency's analysis and that endangered species would likely have been jeopardized by the MVP. These species include the Roanoke log perch and the candy darter fish. The Mountain Valley Pipeline even abandoned its attempts to continue to build the pipeline outside of West Virginia and Virginia itself. Originally, an additional 75 miles would have been added from Southern Virginia into Central North Carolina but the MVP abandoned legal efforts to secure the land necessary. Despite the project being an environmental catastrophe and a financial mess as well, costing investors legitimate amounts of money and increasing in cost, nearly doubling, there are still a lot of major players who are invested in these companies and in the Mountain Valley Pipeline itself. So let's play a fun game called who invests in the Mountain Valley Pipeline? Who owns this pipeline? And you might start to see a couple of trends as we go along. There are several major companies that are big investors in the Mountain Valley Pipeline itself. This includes Equitrans, NextEra Energy Inc., Consolidated Edison, Atlas Gas Limited, and RGC Resources. Now let's start talking about who are major investors in these companies. Let's start with Equitrans. We look at the top investors and immediately see that BlackRock and Vanguard are the top two and three investors respectively. Other major investors include Citadel Securities, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, and T. Rowe Price. The next company, Next Era Energy Inc., also has the same major investors with Vanguard being number one and BlackRock being number three. Other notable investors include JP Morgan at number four, Fidelity at number eight, and Morgan Stanley at number nine. Consolidated Edison Inc., you might start to notice some trends here because number one is Vanguard, number two is BlackRock, and interestingly, number five is BlackRock UK, and number seven is BlackRock Investment Management. So BlackRock is so interested in this company, they became one of its top investors three times. Another notable investor here is Goldman Sachs. The next company we look at is Alta Gas Limited, which has Vanguard as its number two and number six largest investors. And finally, we get to RGC Resources, which has T. Rowe Price as its number one and Vanguard as its number two investor. Goldman Sachs is also invested in this company. 
Now, the names BlackRock and Vanguard came up quite a few times there. And if you aren't familiar with these companies, I'm going to talk a little bit about who they are and what they do. Let's start with BlackRock, who in 2022 managed $8.59 trillion in assets, according to their own financial reports, making them the world's largest asset manager. As of June 22nd, 2023, as of June 22nd, 2023, they're ranked as 229th on Forbes' top 500 largest U.S. corporations by revenue. In May of 2019, they were a top three shareholder in every oil super major and among the top 10 shareholders in seven of the 10 biggest coal producers in the world, according to analysis done by The Guardian, a financial information that was obtained from a financial firm called S&P. BlackRock is also heavily invested in the gun manufacturing industry and is a major shareholder in many large companies across the board. With $8.59 trillion, this makes them larger than the GDP of many countries and gives them a massive amount of economic power, which translates in the United States to political power, where money is able to have so much influence over politics. Now let's get into our second evil corporation, Vanguard, who managed $7.7 trillion in assets as of 2021. In 2017, they had over $450 billion in fossil fuel investments alone, according to Fossil Free Funds. Now, it's outright insane that we are allowing these massive companies with unbelievable amounts of financial power to subvert our democratic systems at the cost of the environment, at the cost of communities, and at the cost of potential future of our planet. And it doesn't just stop at the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Now we need to talk about changes that were made to the National Environmental Policy Act that also passed along with the Mountain Valley Pipeline through the debt ceiling deal. So the National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA for short, is one of the bedrock environmental policies in the United States. It is incredibly important for protecting the environment because it requires environmental reviews for major federal actions that are expected to have significant impacts. Now, the exact definition of what that means has been argued about a fair amount over time, but a lot of precedent has established that there are pretty significant requirements for what the federal government does need to consider a significant impact. This can be fairly far-reaching, including just the federal government giving funding to people and they would need to still conduct environmental reviews to make sure that the money is going towards something that won't have a significant environmental impact. NEPA has also existed since 1970, and so the precedent that it has established goes fairly far back, over 50 years. It's created real and tangible benefits for clean water, clean air, forestry, fisheries, endangered species, and a number of other positive environmental impacts. The law requires either an environmental assessment or an environmental impact statement to be written by agencies undertaking action that's expected to have environmental impacts. These documents require that agencies draft multiple alternatives to the action that they're considering, including a no-action alternative, and then perhaps one, two, maybe more actions or plans that might have different ways about achieving the goals that they want to, 
and then one alternative might have more environmental impacts than the other. And the idea of this is that agencies are then supposed to review this data, do real science, and then choose an alternative that has minimal environmental impacts. The new changes that are being made to the National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA, fundamentally seek to weaken the foundations of the bill, which will open the door to the oil and gas industry abusing their ability to skirt environmental reviews. As demonstrated in this episode and in the first episode about the Willow Project, oil and gas companies will lie or obfuscate facts about the impact that their business has on the environment around them. In this episode, in the Mountain Valley Pipeline example, the MVP was originally rejected by a court for failing to do a proper review of the impacts it would have on endangered species. Same with the Willow Project, which has been contested in courts because they have not done proper reviews on the impacts it will have on polar bears and other threatened or endangered species. To go over the changes to NEPA, I am sourcing the National Law Review, which posted an article about what the exact changes are that are defined in the bill and where there is still some room for interpretation and how that might lead to some court proceedings in the future. But what's important here is that these changes narrow the definition of major federal action and limit the term to actions that the lead agency deem are subject to substantial federal control and responsibility. That is not directly defined, and so there's substantial room for agency interpretation here. And this essentially allows agencies to determine what they think are the kinds of things that they deem important for review and the kinds of things that they don't. So if the Bureau of Land Management, for example, were to say, we don't think that fracking needs substantial federal control and responsibility, then they could just choose not to regulate it. Multiple federal actions are now completely excluded from the scope of major federal action legally, which substantially limits the amount of authority that the government will have to limit environmental impacts. This includes non-federal actions with no or minimal federal funding, also non-federal actions with no or minimal federal involvement where an agency cannot control the outcome of the project. This also includes funding assistance consisting exclusively of general revenue sharing funds, and this means the federal agency does not have compliance or enforcement responsibility over the use of those funds. It also extends to loans, loan guarantees, or other forms of financial assistance where a federal agency does not exercise sufficient control and responsibility over the subsequent use of such financial assistance or the effective action. So this is a lot of legal jargon, but this basically means that if the federal government is giving money to people and is not heavily involved in, the, in what happens to that money after it is given out, then they essentially are not considered major actions and then they are not constrained by NEPA whatsoever. And this is a huge change to NEPA as a, as a document and as a legal precedent. And this means that the government can give money to things like the oil and gas industry without having to really have to use NEPA to review the environmental actions that it will be doing. 
it also extends to any federal agency activities or decisions that are located entirely outside of, quote, the jurisdiction of the United States. And what this means is not entirely clear, but it seems like it means that anywhere outside of the continental United States, say that the military is operating in, they will not have to do environmental reviews, which could have catastrophic environmental impacts from an imperialist perspective where agencies like the U.S. military can be polluting foreign nations and not facing any consequences for it. And finally, it also includes decisions that are made in accordance with the agency's statutory authority. And I discussed this a little bit before, but this is sort of the example where the Bureau of Land Management, who is supposed to, as in their discretion, regulate the oil and gas industry, might not have to actually do that anymore, under NEPA at least. The weakening of NEPA goes even further because the revised language changes environmental effects that are considered to only be those that are, quote, reasonably foreseeable. And this was something that was used under the Trump administration and was temporarily changed by the Biden administration. But now that it's been passed and signed by Biden, he's basically put it back in. But this means that they don't have to look at the long-term effects of direct, indirect, and cumulative effects, but instead focus on those that have a reasonably close causal relationship. And so this means that the forecasting of the future effects of projects will not be considered, and just those close up to the project, say installing an oil and gas pipeline, instead of the long-term maintenance and leak prevention and other important things like that. Now, it's important to note that the meaning and application of these changes will be subject to one agency interpretation and two litigation going forward. And so the way that this will unfold in the future is not exactly clear, but the fact that it has been so significantly weakened will almost certainly have negative effects. Some other problems with the changes that have been made is that agencies have to consider a range of alternatives that have to meet the purpose and need of the proposal. And so that pushes agencies further to create these environmental reviews, but also ensure that no matter what the proposal is, that it is approved and its needs are met. It also weirdly requires that agencies have to analyze negative environmental effects of not implementing any action. Um, which is not necessarily new because there has been a no action alternative, but this is forcing agencies to look at negative impacts, which generally are not going to be as important if you are, say, preventing an oil and gas pipeline from being installed. Another largely troublesome change is that agencies can now use any data source and new scientific or technical research is not required unless it's considered essential to a reasoned choice among alternatives. And that the time frame of obtaining it is not unreasonable and that there aren't unreasonable costs associated with it. This is essentially making it so that agencies don't have to use the best available science and it's creating multiple justifications for agencies to not use the best available science, which when you're doing environmental reviews is inexcusable, it doesn't make any sense, and it 
opens the door for agencies to purposefully use bad science brought to them by bad, unreliable sources. Similarly, it now allows agencies to hire third-party contractors to prepare their environmental reviews, and this could definitely be abused in the sense that they could hire people to kind of do work in bad faith, um, and without someone reviewing the information besides the agency that is hiring them, there's not enough control to make sure that this kind of corruption doesn't happen. It also specifically seeks to streamline and accelerate permitting for energy storage projects by adding it to the list of covered projects. This could relate to clean energy, but as discussed before, because of legislation that has passed recently, before any clean energy projects can even be considered, energy projects have to first be given to the oil and gas industry by law. So this just is streamlining oil and gas projects and trying to create protections from them receiving substantial environmental reviews. Finally, these changes also require an organization called the North American Electrical Reliability Corporation, or NERC, which is responsible for setting reliability standards for the nation's electric grid, to undertake a study within a year and a half on whether more transfer capacity is needed between existing transmission planning regions. This includes recommendations on measures to increase the amount of energy that can be reliably moved between regions. And this could, again, relate to clean energy, but because oil and gas has to be considered first, what this is more likely going to be applied to is that more pipelines, such as the Mountain Valley Pipeline, are going to continue to be constructed, even though they are not economically feasible, even though they are not environmentally feasible, and even though they are problematic for a number of other reasons. As substantial and problematic as the Mountain Valley Pipeline and these changes to NEPA are, there are things happening going forward that could seek to contest them and to try to either stop the Mountain Valley Pipeline or restore some of these regulations to NEPA. The pipeline did face resistance from lawmakers in the federal government in both parties, in both the House and the Senate, who attempted to file amendments to strip the pipeline from the legislation and the debt ceiling deal. This included a coalition with Virginia Democrats in the House and a Republican congressman from Texas. Senator Tim Kaine, a Democrat from Virginia, also strongly opposed the pipeline and attempted to file an amendment in the Senate to oppose the pipeline, but those uh, attempts at stopping it were unsuccessful. There are a number of lawsuits that are still going to be heard in 2023, and these include a challenge to decisions by the Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management that would allow the pipeline to cross through the Jefferson National Forest. And because it's passing through federal land, it does have to undergo environmental reviews. Another lawsuit is a suit asserting that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service failed to properly assure protections of sensitive and valuable species. And this might be successful because it was a working strategy in the past where an appellate court did reject the, the, pe the pipeline because it did not do proper endangered species review. 
there are also two challenges going against the FERC uh, or the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission that allege that it is un- improperly allowing work without federal approvals and that it has allowed the project to go on even though it has been demonstrated to be unnecessary and destructive. And the source of these lawsuits is from Wild Virginia, which is a nonprofit seeking to protect natural resources within the state of Virginia. And if you're asking yourself, what can you do to help? There are a couple of things that you can actually do. One is just to spread information about what's been going on. There's not a lot of news about the Mountain Valley Pipeline and even less about the changes to the National Environmental Policy Act. And these are significant problems in the era of climate change. Another is that you can support organizations like the Sierra Club or Wild Virginia or organizations that are filing lawsuits against the Mountain Valley Pipeline and other harmful environmental projects like this. You can contact your federal government officials to voice your opposition to the pipeline and to ask them to restore strength to NEPA to protect our environment for the future. If you are in a community that is affected by the Mountain Valley Pipeline or by other similar problems, then you can try to organize with your community, find community leaders, and stand for democracy and against oil and gas development wherever and whenever possible. You can also support clean energy projects that are happening within your community, either by voting in favor of them, by giving your money to them, or through other ways. And finally, we need to ask ourselves, what level of resistance do communities need to put up in order to stop projects from being placed on their land against their will when it has the actual capacity to harm clean water, endangered species, and the right to clean land? Why does the government and massive trillion dollar organizations like BlackRock and Vanguard get to continually circumvent democracy and the and the voices and rights of communities to force oil and gas projects like the Mountain Valley Pipeline, like the Keystone XL Pipeline was forced through Standing Rock with the use of military force? How can we claim to live in a free country when we are continually occupied by people who are seeking to harm our environment and are continuing to contribute to climate change, which is one of the greatest existential threats that humanity has ever faced. We cannot allow the government to continue to weaken environmental legislation like NEPA because it continues to erode at our freedoms to having clean water, to having clean air, to living in an environment that is not harmful to us, and to living on a planet that is safe. On the next episode, I'm hoping to talk about how the Supreme Court has also recently weakened the Clean Water Act and how problematic that is because we are living in an era where having clean air, we're having clean water are not certainties. We're living in an environment that is safe and not hit by natural disasters and constant high heat waves and other effects of climate change are not certain. And it is becoming increasingly dangerous to allow massive trillion dollar companies and a corrupt government to make decisions that are actively harmful for our futures. That brings us to the end of episode four of the Saving Green podcast. 
and I want to thank you so much for listening. If you have not listened to the previous episodes, I would definitely recommend going and checking those out, but we will also have more coming out in the future. If you want to stay involved with the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Saving Green Pod. There's also a Discord where there's a community of people that I'm trying to gather so we can talk about environmental news. Uh, we can talk about things that you might want to hear in the show, other things like that. There's also a Patreon that you can give to if you like the content that you heard and you want to hear more of it in the future. You can do, give just a couple bucks a month and it would be incredibly helpful for me to get not only more episodes out but continue to increase them in quality, get some video things started, um, other, other editing techniques, things like that. Um, having a little bit of extra funds going towards this would definitely help immensely. All of these resources can be found in the link tree in the episode description or in the show's bio that will take you to a website that just shows you a link to the Instagram, a link to the Twitter, a link to the Patreon, Discord, all of those different things. Don't forget to give us a rating or uh, a review. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts specifically, you can leave a full review. And if you do, I will read that at the beginning of the episode. We'll also be giving shout-outs to Patreon members at the end of each episode. Again, thank you so much for listening. Keep an eye out for more episodes coming soon. And whether it's in your own community or in the world at large, don't forget to keep saving green.